Hello, this is Christina Roberts Anna King, and I am here to welcome you to the Real Eyes Realized podcast. This is a podcast that highlights everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and our world at large. This podcast was created to amplify the voices of those who are creating change in our world with this inner knowing, this truth telling that is deeply inspiring to listeners so that together we can spread the good work of positive ripple effects throughout the world. Realize Realize is a show where life and service can dance together. So we look forward to inviting you to take a listen, sit back or take us with you on your walk or drive or however you enjoy your podcasts. But I invite you to listen deeply. We're here with our guests to hear about the sparks that have inspired action and heart-centered service and truly highlight ways in which we can also be motivated and inspired to create positive ripple effects in our world. And we are prepared to get real. We're excited for you to hear these stories of vulnerability, courage, and empathy. And we want to know more about how we can see beauty through the eyes of these beautiful beholders. So look forward to hearing what your thoughts are. And again, welcome. Welcome to this wonderful next episode with our very special guest. So we want to welcome our next guest to our Real Eyes Realize podcast, a very special guest, uh, Vivian Folk. And before we get into our questions and this interview, I'll just start with a little bio. Um, But just I feel very honored, Vivian, to have you here. We've been talking about this for a little while, and um, I'm just excited to see how this unfolds. So for everyone uh, in our listeners here, Vivian Folk is a BSN and IBCLC, and we'll find out more about that, but we can think about that in the nursing profession, Mm -hmm. and is also the executive director of the Narrative Initiative. And as a certified Narrative Initiative, or TNI facilitator, she works by bringing diverse healthcare professionals together to address cultural challenges in the workplace and helping to create narrative sessions and workshops to benefit healthcare professionals and patients. She expertly presents the perspective of nursing as a balance to the perspectives of the TNI founder, Dr. Lorraine Dickey with full transparency, who is also my beloved cousin who Mm -hmm. has passed over as of last year. Vivian is also a senior nurse with nearly 30 years of experience working with high-risk infants, their parents, families, and healthcare professionals for all disciplines at the Children's Hospital at Lehigh Valley Health Network in Pennsylvania. She is a strong advocate of the principles of person-centered care, patient and family-centered care that guide her daily work with families and her colleagues in the NICU. So that's quite a bio, Miss Vivian. And so again, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, We've talked about this podcast for a bit, and I had the glorious pleasure of meeting you uh, last fall, although it was under circumstances that I think we would all prefer wouldn't have happened. And that was the passing of Dr. Lorraine Dickey. Um, What I'd like to ask you as we begin is maybe you can give us a little Reader's Digest of your kind of the markers that have helped to wire you into the person that you are today. Can you give us a little history? Yes, let me give you a little history. Um, I am first generation Italian. Uh, My parents were born and raised in Italy. Uh, My father came over when he was 15 with his family, finished school, went to trade school and became an electrician. And at 26 years of age, 
went back to Italy. It was some kind of arranged marriage. I don't know the whole details. They sort of kind of keep that hushed. And married my mother, who wasn't quite 16 at the time, but almost. Um, came over to this country, uh, back over, um, mm -hmm. bought a house. And on a little side note, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but that's how I got my name. Um, Vivian is the realtor's name was Vivian. That's awesome. <laughs> and my father said, oh, my first daughter will be named after you. And she's probably thinking, mm -hmm, yeah, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, here I am. Now they did add an A to the end of it. So it's really Viviana, but it kind of just morphed into Vivian as the years progressed. Yes. That's how I got my name and then brought my mother over. Uh, and then she, um, they had four children. So I have a brother and two sisters all in three and a half years. Wow. And I mentioned that because um, back then, I mean, that was how many, you know, years ago, 50 some years ago, you know, the Italian culture was, you know, the male dominant mm -hmm. controlling type personality. And that was my father. So uh, my brother and I are 10 months apart. He was born in January. I was born in November of the same year. And then my sister 14 months later and then my younger sister. And at that time, my mom was seeing a, we were living in Philadelphia, seeing a, an Italian um, obstetrician. And he um, put an IUD in her without my father knowing. Obviously with her permission, but not his. Yeah. But he couldn't charge them for that. Couldn't say anything to anybody. So for years, my mom, even when, when uh, she passed away, my parents passed away, we found all this information from this obstetrician that my mom just praised this, this person that he did this for her. Mm -hmm. uh, my, mom, my dad was one of 13. Uh, my mom's one of five. And I'm sure my mom would have had many more children without her um, decision in that mm -hmm. if he didn't do that. Um, I still have that card of that obstetrician who I'm sure is long gone because can you imagine that happening today? Wow. There's no way that would happen today. And maybe it does, I don't know, but back then. And um, I, so anyway, so because of that and being um, born in, and raised in that type of environment, um, I ended up being like the caregiver. Mm. I had to care for my siblings. We were so close in age. I had to care for my father and my siblings when my mother would go back to Italy and visit her family. She tried to go back, you know, once a year or every other year. I was brutal. <laughs> so I was like this little mom mm -hmm. in the house. So it was just natural that I just end up being this caring person and becoming the nurse that I am and caring for everybody, yeah. making sure everybody was doing okay. So fast forward, I graduated high school. I go off to college to I, to be a nurse. My my brother graduates with me. He goes off into the military. Mm -hmm. He needed to get away, so that then left, of course, my two siblings. Um, then a year later, my sister graduates and she gets kicked out of the house by my father. She was a lot like my father, mm -hmm. <laughs> personality-wise. She's much better today. <laughs> um, so we took her in, my roommates and I, because she had nowhere to go. My yes. mom called crying. And then my, at that point, my parents had 15 acres that um, we farmed when we were growing up. My dad's theory was keep the kids busy, keep them out of trouble. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, 15 acres with just my parents and my sister was just too much. So then they subdivided and my mom moved. They, my dad built another house um, not far from them, 10, 15 minutes, and they um, moved into that. And it wasn't until I was in college, Christina, that I realized, hmm, I don't think I had the 
similar upbringing that a lot of my peers did. Uh-huh. You know, some of the classes that I took, I'm thinking, hmm, my father seems a little more controlling than your average father, a little bit more narcissistic than your average father would mm-hmm. be, um, especially when they moved into the second you know, house. My parents moved 10 times in the first 10 years of being in this country because he would fix the house up, sell it, fix the house, and sell sure. it. So it was a lot for my mother at 16 years of age, yes. you know, having three kids, and it was just a lot. So that's when we then, my siblings and I started to realize, hmm, a little bit more to um, this dynamics that I think that we actually realized. Um, so again, kind of fast forward, things are moving along, and we're thinking everything is fine. And uh, my parents ended up passing away when I was 30. Mm. My brother had just turned 31, and of course my siblings, on my, on my daughter's birthday. And for many years, I would just tell people they died of a car accident. Mm. Because it was easier to say that. I just couldn't bring myself to actually say how they died. Mm. Uh, my mother was 49. My father was 59. So very young. Yes. Um, but, and I still have a hard time saying those words. And, and I think it's because, well, my father um, took his, well, took my mother's life and then took his life mm. so at a sorry. restaurant. It's okay. Um, it's been 27 years, and, and, and I'm able to talk about it now, but for many years I couldn't because all I did was bury it. And this yeah. is why this is a, a great podcast to be on that I can help one person to not just bury your grief because yeah. eventually it comes up and will get you. Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of a part. We've um, dealt with that as, as the family unit. I have a very supportive family. Mm. and um, dealing with just different parts of grief along the way. And there's more, and I didn't know if you wanted me to continue or would go with that later. Uh, I I mean, we'll continue to to dive into um, these tenants, but I think seeing that where you are, you offer so much support to families in the NICU, and it's usually the high risk, right? You you deal with high risk Mm -hmm. babies and, you know, prenatal and and then the families and dealing with that strife. how do you think that, you know, there's a saying that says struggle is where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that this grief, you know, are there things that you've learned about yourself and maybe not stuffing emotions is one of them, but around how you want to be living your life to the fullest, given the pain that you've gone through? Yes. Um, that one is um, not bearing the grief. Mm-hmm. I, when my parents died, um, they died on a Thursday and I already had a birthday party planned for Saturday. Mm-hmm. My daughter was turning, well, she turned eight on the, death of the day my parents died. And my son was turning three. And my friends and family said, you need to reschedule it. I said, I'm not rescheduling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have family come in. Um, we lived an hour away from most of our family. I had friends come in. Classmates were coming. I had a clown coming for the kids. I'm not rescheduling it. I just buried it and buried it and buried it. And... I remember my, my dear friend, Marie, rest in peace, she passed away, said to me, how are you able to just go about and function on your day here? Mm-hmm. Because of the way my parents died, it ended up being on the news, it ended up being in the newspapers. Um, so most people, of course, knew. And yeah. I said, uh, we just have to put one foot in front of the other and just keep going. I said, I'm not going to let my kids suffer um, mm-hmm. or have this affect uh, my family any more than it needs to. Yes. Um, now... Um, so that's what we did. And I just, one day at a time, took care of it. And it worked great until mm. um, my daughter went off to college. 
and then my son went off to college, and now it's just my husband and my youngest son. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, Christina, but I couldn't stop thinking about my parents' death. Mm-hmm. It just kept perseverating. I don't know why. It was years later. Yeah. I'm thinking, why am I thinking about this now? Why, mm-hmm. why am I perseverating on this? And there wasn't anything tripping. I just think now I wasn't as busy. Yeah. I wasn't busy. You had some space. Mm-hmm. I had space. Mm-hmm. Not a good thing. <laughs> you know, uh, I tried therapy. Uh, it's not for me. Uh, I don't. I, I think it's great for people that uh, that benefit from it. Yes. I can't go and speak to a person for an hour and then just go away and walk and go about my merry way. Yeah. When that person has no, it takes months for you to develop a rapport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time is when Lorraine sort of came into my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the director of our, our NICU. She was a, she came as a physician and became a director. Now we weren't friends when she was working there. We became friends, uh, running friends, because yes. we started running together, and that's sort of how we became friends. Didn't she and, like how she first met you? Didn't she give you some comment about the yeah, whiteness of your shoes? <laughs> And I think the way you met was also just in humor and in like a lightness because yeah. here she's a head physician director uh, she, and then, but there was just, there was no leveling, I think, right? No, she made fun of my running sneakers. I was not a runner. I played tennis. I played on a women's soccer league, on a women's volleyball league. Yes. You know, I didn't run. And my friend said, let's do this making stride, first strides. I said, okay. Uh-huh. Met Lorraine Man. So I didn't know how to buy sneakers. I went to the store. These looked really cool. Now keep in mind I was a nurse. Yes. And I'm an old school nurse with uh-huh. white pants, white shirt, white sneakers. <laughs> so I bought white running sneakers. And they were pretty pristine white running at the parkway. And so after the gray sheet or run, she came over and kicked my sneakers and says, Are you trying to get everyone's attention? <laughs> and it was funny at the time and we laughed and I was like, and that's when she asked me. Um, she you know how tall Lorraine was. She couldn't find somebody to run with her that had the same stride that she had. And uh-huh. she said, would you consider running with me? You have a, a, a long stride like I do. Yes. And I said, sure. So I think that, I don't know, that was like a Tuesday, Saturday. We ran at the parkway. And, um, and I just assumed I was going to go home. And then she asked me, hey, would you like to go and get a cup of coffee? Yeah. And Christina, my first reaction was like, uh, well, first, you know me, I, I'm better now, but I rarely say no. Sure, okay. <laughs> but after I got in my car, I'm thinking, oh, my God, what, am what I did I just do? What did I this person? <laughs> she is the, the, I don't think she directed that, but anyway, she was way up there in the, in the NICU. And she was very good at what she did. But, yeah. and I used to say this to Lorraine, Lorraine, but she was unapproachable. Like, uh-huh. if you had a baby that was, um, as we say, circling the train or not doing well, you want a Dr. Dickey there. Yeah. Right on, excellent. But soft, fuzzy, no, that wasn't her. She yeah. was military. Yeah. But that was okay. Yeah, Air Force Academy thinking, trained, yeah. Yes, how am I going to talk to this person? I was so nervous. I mean, I can still feel it today. Oh and this goodness. is pre-Google. I would have Googled something. How do I, you know, on my way there? <laughs> how do I deal with my emotions when I'm ner- a nervous wreck? Uh, this was all pre-cell phone time, so it wasn't like I could call anybody. I was like... So I get there. I couldn't even eat. I ordered a cup of coffee. I'm oh like, no, goodness. no, I can't eat after I run, which is totally a lie. But I knew I wouldn't be able to eat. We were there two hours. Oh, easy two conversation, hours. huh? Yes. And I remember leaving there. And I remember coming home and telling my husband, you know, that, hey, I went out, you know. And he goes, and I told him how nervous I was. And I said, and it went so well. 
She's so easy to talk to. She's receptive. And I thought, and that's how our friendship just blossomed. Yes. And I think on her end, I think she found something in me as well. Because oh. Lorraine wasn't, it was hard for Lorraine to find. Yes. I wouldn't say her equal, but her equal in um, emotions. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and let herself be, get, be down. Let herself be her and yes. not this uh, physician that somebody wants something from her. Right, right. And kind and of needing to be a certain way, certain identity. That was it. We were inseparable. So tell us a little more than how the the kindness initiative uh, and everything kind of came about relative to this, this business that um, really was fostered, I think probably very similarly to, you know, your coffee shop talk and then like what's possible here. Yes, it was. So um, the narrative initiative came together after uh, Lorraine, Dr. Dickey, we had an issue in our NICU. Um, We did, we had a bullying problem. Uh, you've probably heard this term, and maybe you haven't, but nurses eat their young. There's truth to that metaphor. We do. The senior nurses are just harder on the younger nurses. We had issues with, um, you know, uh, providers, the doctors, the ancillary staff, the nurses, the cohesiveness of our unit. Yeah. Um, it was a tough unit to work in back then. Uh, a lot of senior staff. It was hard to work in NICU. People didn't leave. They were there for many, many years. So you had very strong personalities. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Dickey had to do something. So she developed this program called the Professional Caregivers Plan for Resiliency. Mm-hmm. And so she's the one that initially brought the narrative, not the initiative, but the narrative storytelling into the NICU. Mm-hmm. This right, read, reflect type yes. process. Um, and it was great. So she brought staff together. We did it, I think, once a month um, into the NICU ed room. She got some sloppy pizzas. She closed the door, you know, when the time was up. So it was about 10 to 12 people. It wasn't a big group. Yeah. And then she usually had a prompt, whatever the prompt was about. And then we would write three minutes about this prompt. Mm-hmm. And then she would facilitate it and focus on words like, for instance, frustration. If you use that word frustration, she put out, well, I know what frustration means to me, but what, what does it mean to you in this context? Yeah. And then the your peers, mm-hmm. and this is what was so fascinating about it, is your peers, even though you may not have worked one-on-one with them, they still knew what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. You could use medical jargon. You could talk about a story. No names were mentioned. It was yeah. de-identified. But people could validate your story and help reflect on it. Mm-hmm. So she did that for many years, and it did improve the camaraderie in the unit. I bet. I remember one of my oh my goodness! I remember one of my sessions. Um, one of the physicians was sitting next to me. He's now since retired, and he was um, from from India and mm-hmm. a strong culture. Didn't do well with the younger staff, or if you didn't know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. So there was many times that the nurses were sort of afraid to call him with mm-hmm. a call. And he came to one of the sessions, and I can't remember what the story's about. He, he always wrote, but he never read. Oh, interesting. But he would interject. Yes. Because you didn't have to read if you didn't want you to. You could pass. Yeah, that would create right. a safe space. Yes. And the session finished. We walked out. Now, I think he was coming for the pizzas. But regardless, he wanted <laughs> That helps. Free food always helps. <laughs> and we walked out, and he said to me, Vivian, wow. He says, that was amazing. I wow. did not realize what the nurses deal with. He says, particularly the charge nurse. And we had a charge nurse. Yes. That was, you know, a little strong personality. He says, but now I kind of understand it. And mm. I said, I tell you, I said, you're absolutely right. A couple weeks go by. I'm in the unit and I'm helping one of the younger nurses. And she accidentally pulls out the chest tube on this baby. 
-hmm. And she has to call this physician. And now she's afraid to call him. I, I don't want to call him. I, need, I, I said, you call him. I said, no, no, go ahead and call him. I'm right here with you. Yes. He comes down and she's petrified. I'm so sorry. She didn't secure whatever the issue was. And he said, that's okay. He says, let me show you. He shows her what to do. He puts a chest tube back in. He shows her like with a chart, how to secure it. And the nurse just looks at me and says, what happened to him? Wow. And I said, really now this new nurse has not experienced these sessions yet because yeah. usually you have to be there about a year before you go. So that was just one little example. We did the bullying yes. came down. Camaraderie came out. The cohesiveness of the unit came up. Now, the only thing with these, though, is they're not sustainable. Mm. they're good for a while mm -hmm. like as long as the sessions were going on yeah. they were good and the physicians um dr dickey made them i think they had to do four a year mm -hmm. for their evaluation so they were coming in these sessions because i can tell you they probably wouldn't have but mm -hmm. they did some yeah. of the nurses had to go in speech therapy everybody the whole unit the uh unit clerk even the housekeeper oh, so for you, for a physician to know what a housekeeper story Yes. And so now we shared, or we knew each other by stories. Mm -hmm. You go to a delivery and a baby's Cody, and you now know this person by a story. Mm -hmm. You're much more compassionate. It really mm -hmm. was quite helpful. I can I just imagine, just I'm hearing you in the, the vitality that's coming through, just even in your voice, is this ability to move into recognition of one another through shared experience. So beyond yes. the facade of, here's my role, here's, you know, what I you know, come to work with in terms of my identity, but you really get to see behind, behind that, behind the scenes. And Absolutely. so when you're doing your work on diversity and inclusion and how you're seeing these narratives also support that, what, what are you seeing come through? You mentioned that in the bio, right? I did. I, um, just the camaraderie of the group. Well, I'll tell you that maybe this is what you're, you're going for. Um, well, well, once this all came through yeah. and Lorraine started her narrative initiative, and that's why we did start it, is okay. because um, in 2015, Lorraine says, you know what? I think we can pull this from the hospital setting yes. and take it out and mm. take it to other places, take it to offices, take it to teachers, take mm -hmm. it to not just healthcare." Um, and, and that's when she asked me, would I help her with this business? She wanted to do the narrative initiative. And I said, absolutely. Because I saw how valuable it was and yeah, how the potential. it changed the, in our unit. So one of our, um, events is we took it to an, uh, a hospital up North mm -hmm. and they also had an issue in their ICU. It was an adult ICU, mm -hmm. same, very similar issues that we had in our NICU. Mm -hmm. And they wanted us to come and do these monthly sessions mm -hmm. with their staff. And we did it for six months in a row. Wow. And same same thing. And the whole unit needed to go. So there was 10 each week. Yes. Or each month. I'm sorry. Once a month, we did it for six months. And they ended up getting an award. They ended up getting for like the most compassionate unit after our <laughs> sessions, our six-month session. It was That's amazing the because they realized that they now, we had trouble getting some of the um, doctors on board. Yes. But it was a hospital-mandated thing, so they had to come to these sessions. Yes. And here their stories. What amazing so, benefits. That's, I don't know if that answers your no, question. No, that's wonderful. Yeah, I just I just think when you're able to bring together diverse backgrounds and individuals, but you yeah. really get into sharing perspectives that well, are just powerful. Here's the thing. What I perceive as good care 
or being kind is not sometimes what you perceive or other people perceive it. But when you're hearing somebody's story and now you know where their yeah. background is from and why they think the way they do or why they act the way they do, you're mm -hmm. a little bit more compassionate. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It now makes that person a better healthcare person because mm -hmm. now they're giving more better care to their patients and they're a little bit more understanding. Mm -hmm. So it didn't just trickle down just to the staff yeah. or just ripple effect to the staff. It trickled on down to the, the patients, patients of our babies. And the ICU up up north, it ripple it trickled on down to their patients and their yeah. families. Yes. They felt their their uh, evals came back that they were much more caring and compassionate yes. um, to the to the families. Yeah. I, I seem to recall at Lorraine's funeral also the words that um, you know, she would oftentimes say, one of these days you will be in here too. Like you will yes. need care. And wouldn't you want it to come from a place of kindness or something to that yeah. effect? So how, how, well, go ahead, say more. No, no, go ahead. Um, I haven't written down because I always get it messed up. But she always used to say in our sessions, um, the golden rule. Yeah. Do unto others what you want done unto you. Mm -hmm. And Lorraine made this platinum rule. Mm -hmm. What it should be is do unto others what they want done unto them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not what you want done. Yeah. So once she explains that, then people are like, oh, because <laughs> what I want done and the care I want may not be the care that somebody else wants. That's it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that all is by my upbringing and my beliefs. That's right. So it's very, very different. And that's an eye-opening comment, I yeah. think. Yeah. It's, it's a game changer. So, it sounds yeah, like it. it and so... When you, what's, what was the transition then, or, or how does this encompass? So you have the narrative initiative, and then how has that informed these gatherings of kindness? Can you say a little <laughs> bit more about that? Because I think that that's a phenomenal kind of offshoot, maybe, and maybe you can describe yes. more what it is. Yes. So the gathering of kindness, um, Dr. Kath Crock, she's the um, CEO of the gathering of kindness and the Hush Foundation in Australia. And they had their first event in 2016. Okay. So Lorraine, um, she asked Lorraine to go. Lorraine said, hey, Viv, do you want to go with me? So I went. And it was a week-long event. Wow. Uh, they also, in Australia, had, they didn't want to use the word bullying, but uh -huh. they also had some hierarchy issues yeah. in their healthcare system. So they threw out this kindness. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring more kindness into healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so Dr. Kraftkrack kind of ran with it. And... So I went to, we went to that event and it was wonderful. Was we went it? to a variety of different places in Australia. Now we yeah. didn't have the narrative session at this time. Okay. Um, but then we came back, we focused on the narrative session. And then in 2018 or 17, we went back again and Kath asked us to bring these narrative sessions down. And now it was even better because now we took these narrative sessions to all these different places. Right. You had a whole so well received wide net of yes. Examples. Yeah, so then in 2018, Lorraine said, I think we should have a Gathering Kindness USA. Why does mm. this have to be just for Australia? So we did. We had our first Gathering Kindness USA in 2018 in May, and yes. it was well-received. We capped it to just the 50 people. And what was nice about it is we actually featured a play called Hear Me. Mm. In Australia, Alan Hopgood um, made this play, and it was about an issue with medical errors mm -hmm. um, um, from the, all the perspective of the people that it was involved. Mm -hmm. 
So we hired American actors and we brought that play here and we did it at that gathering of kindness. We also, Lorraine actually um, teamed up with Cow How Films and we did a short film on Watchtower. And that depicts one couple's experience with addiction. Yes. Now after the play and after they watched the film, then we did, um, we followed with the community and healthcare stories about the challenges. Mm-hmm. Why it's so kind for, to deal with people with addiction. Mm-hmm. Why is it so kind to deal with people um, just in healthcare in general? Mm-hmm. And it was so well received. So I we did that imagine. in 18 and we've had three of them. Uh, yes. COVID kind of put it. Um, and this would have been our fourth one this year that we would have had. Yeah. I just, so what that's I love, where that came about. So it sounds to me like you would have these nuggets, these like, you know, like inspirations that would happen, whether or not it's like going to Australia and seeing what they're doing and then bringing that back. And then like each along the way, there would be like another idea maybe that would come up. Yeah. Or how about we try this? It sounds like it was, and then like having a play around addiction, but then having the support circle at the end to discuss how does this impact you? I mean, you just take it to the next level all the way along the um and we were you getting feedback along the way that it was working oh, as well? Or were oh, you just following your gut? Nope, nope. Lorraine was a scientist and she loved her research. Yes. So every event we did was um, they filled out evaluation forms. And we took them yes. seriously. We reviewed yeah. them and they weren't all positive, but a lot of them were very, very positive. And that's what um, kept us going was the positivity yeah. of these um, yeah. evaluations really cool. that they did. What. You're right. We just one thing after another. And after we did started doing the gathering kindness and doing more events, Lorraine decided, you know what? We should train facilitators. Uh-huh. It shouldn't be just you and I. Let's train more people to do this. Yes. So we have 25 trained facilitators all over the world mm. doing this read, write, reflect narrative session that Lorraine mm-hmm. um, kind of narrative method that she sort right. of developed. I love and that. It has been, and we've been very available to them. They would uh, FaceTime us or call us and email us. We never left them stranded. We would fly out to Utah or Iowa <laughs> or California and be with them. California, yes. now we've gone to Australia a couple of times, not just for the Gamma Kindness, for actually narrative session. Right. We've gone to um, uh, London, we went. Yes. Um, I, you know I went to Scotland and did... Yes. Yeah, to really there. support this. I mean, it sounds to me, it's like you gave it not only the legs that it needed, but the wings that it needed as well. We and did. so the ability to really see that launch. Uh, and it's, if um, I was just thinking, you know, one of the things that we offer is these online resources for our listeners. And uh, maybe what we can do is put together a little redacted version of Read, Write, Reflect and sure. something around the narrative instruction, because it would really would be a great way to honor what you've created, as long as it's you're comfortable with that, it'd be a Absolutely. wonderful way for people to look through Absolutely. that. It's the power of the mind and the brain, right? That yes. naturally does storytelling. But yes. now, how do we utilize the neuroplasticity of storytelling for the benefit of, right? Understanding and going deeper into yeah. that. It's really you know cool. what, what's different about this storytelling is, um, mm. well, the prompts. For instance, let me read yes. you one little prompt example, please, and I love this please. prompt. This was my favorite. I used to teach at a university, so I used this prompt to get to know my students. I love um, it. Because I really didn't know them. So, and this was a very typical prompt that we used for all our narrative sessions. Take three minutes to write about your name. Any part of your name. First name, last name, nickname, a name that you were teased, 
um, professional name, whatever, any part of your name that was difficult or challenging mm -hmm. or alternatively uplifting and inspiring. Mm -hmm. We repeat that prompt again the second time. And if we had access to a PowerPoint and a slide, we kept it up. Now, you would think a name prompt would be, that was our level one prompt. Okay. Level We went all the way level four with spirituality and biases and different things. Would be a simple prompt. But we got amazing stories. Then after they wrote, then they had to read verbatim. And that's the kicker, Christina. Is that right? Because when you read a story, if I don't want my emotions to get out, you know, I just won't read verbatim. I'm going to change that story uh -huh. to control my emotion. Uh -huh. Most people do. But when you read what you wrote, the yeah. words you chose to write mm -hmm. during those three minutes, that's where the emotions comes up. Mm -hmm. That's when where the group that you're with, especially because we always did it with liked peers, peers that understood what sort of where you're coming from. Sure. They said it's just a lot of the comments would come back that the sessions felt very, they were validated. They said it felt very supportive, yeah. that it was very therapeutic. We would give the disclosure, we are not therapists. Uh -huh. This is not a support group. It feels that way. Mm -hmm. But that's the kicker of these, this right, read, reflect. Mm -hmm. That worked so well. That's the middle, the middle of the sandwich, it sounds like. That's the where the, the, the secret sauce did, comes in. They, and if they didn't read verbatim, it wasn't as powerful. Yes. And then we would get focused, the facilitators would focus on the words. Yes. And then the group, like when you first do it, they usually always answer it um, in uplifting and inspiring prompt. Uh -huh. they, they usually go that way because they don't know the group. But when you do it month after month after month, now they feel comfortable with the group. Yeah. Now the stories really come out, I the bet. difficult and challenging stories. Yeah, you build that foundation of trust. Yes. It allows people to be courageous. Yeah, there's a, a prompt that oftentimes I'll utilize in coaching circles or facilitation. And when you really want to get right into the vulnerability, and it's, you know, if you really knew me, you would know. And yep. I have seen people, I might be, I don't know if that's a level what type prompt mm -hmm. in uh, the vernacular that you just were talking about. But there is something so interesting when you say, you know, if I just take away all that other nicety stuff that I might be like, how are you? I'm fine. Everything's great. And if you really go beneath that, um, there is so much richness in terms of shared experience yes. as well. And so we start to realize instead of thinking we're going through our life solo and experiencing all the challenges we are as the only one, we really start to see there's a lot of commonality yes. that we go through when we get to that emotional level. We have to let people get to that level though. I don't think we do that. This narrative did. Yes. We would hear stories that they would come back. You didn't have to go to these narrative sessions when Lorraine had it in the NICU yeah. unless you know, we had to go to a couple, but they were coming back. And the reason they were coming back is they would say, when I'm here, I feel like I'm, I'm supported by my peers. Mm -hmm. When I go home, and I can relate to this, and yeah. it has nothing to do with my husband at the time. You know, I just had a baby that died that I took care of for six months. I walk yeah. in the door. How you doing? Oh, I just had you know, a baby that died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, you better get ready. We have to be at dinner at six o'clock. Mm. You know, there's nowhere for them to decompress. That's right. These particularly healthcare workers. Yes. So Lorraine and I always say they have this backpack and they just kept putting these rocks in these backpacks, Christina. Yeah. But they have heavy. nowhere for it to go. I yeah. noticed this with the students when I was at the sales or mm. the university I taught at. They would have these stories, but they had nowhere to go with these mm -hmm. stories. They needed somewhere to go, especially if it was a difficult patient they were caring for. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I sometimes I did it in the beginning, but I would do it in the middle too and say, okay, we need to have a session. We need to write about this case that you all are having trouble Makes with. Sense. I've had professors come to me and say, Viv, can you please come to a session for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a baby in the NICU that um, the students are having a difficult time because they feel that we're going above and beyond for this baby. And it's just enough for them to write and get it off. And then they don't perseverate. It's not, they're not just talking in the lunchroom. They're not talking out on campus. They're not talking out in the elevator. It's now out. Yes. yes more rocks will go in their backpack <laughs> for many years of nursing. But at least if we can lighten it a little bit. And that was our premise pretty yeah, much. That makes a ton, a ton of sense. And like when I think about, I think in our intake call too, you were sharing, you know, in the field of healthcare, sometimes, you know, people that are very experienced with regards to loss and um, are still doing things that just doesn't, they don't make sense. You know, you've got, for example, maybe a, a child that doesn't make it. And how do you hold space for that when you're looking to clear out the room and you're looking yes. to, you know, I mean, so maybe uh, my question to you is this is, what do you see as the potential for the field of healthcare and even our world around how we can help one another go through really tough moments? We need to be there for them. This narrative initiative was one tool, one yeah. great wellness tool for nurses and for healthcare providers. We need other ones. For instance, we just lost a baby this week in our NICU, mm. and these younger staff are having trouble with it. We also have two babies that are have horrible outcomes and they have nowhere to go no sooner that baby in bed one died it was cleared and a new bed was in there and a new baby was in there there's no no time for people to decompress and process what they just saw so i'm not sure where it needs to go i know our hospital is trying very hard to instill more wellness Mm -hmm. and more um things that staff can do and go Mm -hmm. but unless they go to it Mm -hmm. i mean they have people that walk around the hospital for you to talk to Mm -hmm. i can tell you a lot of those nurses are like me Mm -hmm. unless you know that person they're not going to open up to them right they're they're just not you know for me um and i have talked about your healing circle and i hope you don't mind that i share Mm -hmm. that wounds to wisdom healing circle that i hesitantly was going to do and after i did the first session i i was all in i said you know what this is what i need Mm -hmm. and i shared that with a few other nurses and they said how can i get on board it's only what one hour a week but it's one hour where they can get some of that feeling out yes because they're not getting it at home yeah they're not getting it out with their friends I mean, they're talking about it, but it's not helping them. So, yeah. and it's not just nurses. You know, these sessions, the doctors are struggling just as much as we are. Yes. Sometimes I have to say to the younger nurses, uh, you know, doctor so-and-so, no, you don't think they're struggling or this doesn't bother them, but this is bothering them just as much as it's bothering yeah. you or not. Yeah. Just because they it, go in the team room and they don't say anything doesn't mean this right. isn't bothering them. That's right. And then so, the family's involved too. I mean, it, yes. there is the ripple effect that's happening with everyone. Yes. So I'm and, not sure where where healthcare is going. Technology hasn't helped. You mm-hmm. think it would help. People just get away now with their phones, mm-hmm. you know, um, and computers. And it's, I don't know, years ago before cell phone, you sat and you spoke with the families. Mm-hmm. 
You sat in the chair and you charted and you were there for them. Even if you didn't speak to them, Christina just gave them space. That's all they need. That's right. Sometimes that's it. It's just too busy now. Yeah. The assignments are heavy. It's, 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 something's going to give. I'm not sure what, but something's going to have to change. Yeah. I appreciate that. That just, it sounds like wisdom in terms of from your lived experience, some things that you're seeing that some that are maybe going in a direction of maybe there's awareness that's happening and things like the narrative initiative that really do support yep. and that you're being able to see these glimmers, right, of hope and potential. Um, and there's still a ways to go. You Last, know, um, doing the narrative, I'm yeah. there for, those, for the nursing staff there. That's I'm great. there for a year. Tell me your story. They're, they know yeah. it's safe. Tell me what I can do to help you. Mm-hmm. Tell me what if you just even ha- need a shoulder to cry on. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's your baby so you can go out for 10 minutes. Yeah, I've done that already for them. Yeah, Just that's... something. That's my little piece that I can do mm-hmm. for the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Of workers I think, too, even just asking, you know, what does support look like for you? You know, and it right. may be I 10 minutes to go outside and clear my head. Okay, how can yep. I support you in that? Uh, or like you said, the shoulder to cry on when needed. Um, my last kind of question for you before we get into the collective questions is I know that you, you talked about spreading kindness and how powerful that is. Um, you've also been given feedback, I think, that your kindness arm extends a little too far. And so I'm wondering if you can provide us with wisdom. You talked about from wounds to wisdom before. Yes. What is the wisdom about striking the right balance? For me, that was where I... Um, that's where I had trouble. Yeah. I was a pleaser. I wanted people to be happy. I was a caregiver. Um, I did my best to make people happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when I lost my parents and all those feelings yeah. were flooding back, I was starting to get back on track. Then I, um, my husband of 30 years didn't want to be married anymore. Mm. He said, oh, it's not you, it's not you. It's, we just grew apart. Um, came out of the blue. I thought we were doing perfectly fine. We had a nice family, nice relationship. So that was just uh, uh, talking about a stab in my heart. Yeah. Um, then I uh, lost my brother-in-law to COVID. Uh, wonderful, wonderful person. My sister-in-law died from umbilical hernia surgery, uh, unexpected. Mm. There was just all these things happening after after one death, after grief. Then it was COVID time. And yeah. then we're seeing co-workers at the hospital dying you know a nurse a, a friend of mine her husband died of covid one of her emts died so all of this was happening and i'll be honest christina i'm a very strong person yeah. i am i try to stay upbeat and positive um i look at life okay let's just going to make the best of it um but i hit i hit my rock bottom yeah. i didn't think i ever would but i did and it was when i lost my house and it was because a friend of mine convinced me um, a friend of many years to sell my house to her daughter mm-hmm. and her daughter and my kids, her kids and my kids were raised together, mm-hmm. lives down the street. Now I'm not one of these, you know, I'll take advantage type of people. But at that time I was, Yeah. she got me in a very vulnerable state that I couldn't protect myself. Now what I should have done, and this is if I can just help one person listening to this, don't make any drastic changes for a year. Mm-hmm. When you have a divorce, a death, COVID, whatever it is, yeah. give yourself some space. I didn't need to sell. I was comfortable there, but I wanted to make her happy. And on top of that, I ha- I sold it to her much, much cheaper than yeah. she Market did value. because that's all they could afford. 
Yeah. My sister tried to intervene, but at that time, again, I was used to caring for my sister. I didn't want her caring for me. Mm -hmm. And that was where I realized it took me a while to come to the realization that, okay, I, I needed to just move forward. Uh, my mm -hmm. friend Brian, um, he actually has a, a company called Retrieving Leadership, and he teaches pretty much what we do with the narrative, but he does it with business people. Yeah. Wonderful person. And he said to me, Viv, you just extended your kindness arm a little too far. Mm. He says, you're the kindest person I know. And Lorraine used to always say that to me. He, she says, you're just the kindest person I know. Mm. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and I tried... I was going to fight um, after a couple of weeks of realizing that I made a mistake when I couldn't eat. And I was just crying. I don't want to get rid of my house. I, my kids were raised here. My husband left. The kids are out on their own. I'm in this 3,000 square foot plus house with all the things of 30 years. Yeah, all the memories. I needed. So I, my other sister, we hired a real estate attorney and we sent the uh, papers to um, make the sale null and void. Mm -hmm. And the attorney said, no worries, you have uh, seller's remorse. Perfect, this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Christina, that week I just felt like, okay, I can breathe, <laughs> uh -huh. I can breathe. A week later, later I get a letter from their attorney that I'm being sued for breach of contract. Mm -hmm. And just a long story short, it ends up going many attorneys, and I end up pulling back. And after a while, I said, you know what? The court, the hearing was going to be around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not doing this. It's just a house. Mm -hmm. And I conceded and pulled back and said, fine, mm -hmm. let them take my house. But with that being said, and I don't want to hold, I, I truly was truly low. I was truly, and I am not a suicidal person. I was ready to take my life. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? I'm done. I had a good life. I have three great kids. I had a good career. The narrative initiative has kept me going yes. through all those grieving processes. Um, but what kept me was first my dog. I didn't know what I was going to do with my dog. Yeah. <laughs> and my sweet niece. I thought, I can't do this. I mm. wasn't worried about my kids. I know what it felt like to lose a parent, yes. lose suicide. And I thought, they, my husband, they'll be fine. But my niece, who's been through a lot, and she's like a daughter mm. to me, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't mm -hmm. do it, and I'm glad. Mm -hmm. and, and, but I have never in my entire 57 years of life ever have gotten that low. So I yeah. can relate when people say they're getting divorced. Yeah. People say, like my sister-in-law who lost her husband, my brother-in-law through COVID, right. um, that death is horrible. No. I think divorce was, was worse. Yeah, I lost my identity tough. as a wife, first a daughter, yeah. then I lost yeah. my identity as a wife. Then I lost my identity of a mother. I was still their mother, but not really. The family then I lost shifted, like, yeah. my house. It just was. And it's then COVID, lot. everything just came crashing down. Yeah. But as my shirt says, yes. it's going to be okay. One day at a time. One day at a time. And that's how I got through it. One day. And then I started relying on my um, sister, my siblings for help. And they yeah. were super, super supportive. And they were angry at me. I started relying a little bit more on Doug and Lorraine, yes. and they were super supportive. In fact, I want to tell a real quick story. They invited me over for dinner one night, Lorraine yes. and Doug, and they said, we have a surprise for you. And this is when I was now my house has sold and uh -huh. I had bought, and I'm packing. And I just cried and cried and cried packing. I'm throwing yeah. things away that I should. And they said, come on over. So I go over and we have dinner and they said, we have a surprise for you. They take me upstairs and they had fixed up one of their spare bedrooms for me. Um, and they said, 
They got, you know, new comforter and pillows. And they said, this room is yours whenever wow. you need it. When you need to get away, you come. Not that I couldn't have went to my siblings, but they all lived over right. an hour away. But to have somewhere that you can go that's 10 minutes away from your work. And then they even, I'm Italian Catholic, so they even had the little Pope, the wobbly head Pope on the nightstand, which is still there today. <laughs> so thoughtful. So thoughtful. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I used it. Yes. If I could, needed to get out of my house and I was feeling low, I would just go that's over. Great. And they did their thing and I would just go up in my bedroom. That's great. Um, so I, I hope that someday I could do that for somebody. And I yeah. hope that my story can help somebody because you don't realize somebody is spiraling yeah. that fast. I wouldn't even say fast. Spiraling that way, especially a strong personality like of mine. Course. Like, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. What can I do to help you? Let me help you move. Let That's me help right. you do this. Um, there, yeah. there is. I can, I can relate to that too. You never quite know, you know, when that, when an individual who comes across as strong is actually at their rock bottom and that's what I hear you saying is these, um, these pieces of kindness, as well as you're feeling your sense of um, worth for your with your niece and your dog. That sometimes it's just like one other life yeah. that we might have that we know that there's, I just, I, I couldn't do it to them. And, and sometimes that's the bit that gets us then asking for the support we need to get to a different place. You're not thinking rationally at that time. No, you're not. I wasn't thinking rationally. I was thinking... I'm going to take my life and I'm going to be a ghost in this house. You want this house? You can have it, but I'm going to yeah, haunt it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know it's irrational thinking. I know. But no, it's just where it's, 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 it's a really, it's a it's, place. It's a place that I, people visit. So I actually want to write a book and I'm actually looking into a ghostwriter to write because I think my story is a story that maybe could help somebody. Yeah. Not a self-help book per se, but just a, a, a story. That sounds wonderful. Oh, I look forward to hearing when that comes out, my love. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to actually ask then if you have any kind of, um, I know we talked about having like an uplifting story to end with uh, from the narrative initiative. So let's go ahead and find that um, as a, an example of what the kinds of things that you've been able to yes. be a part of. I did find one. Um, what do I do with that? It must be over here. Okay. So this is from one of the nurses that um, actually wrote a story. Um, okay. Um, okay, ready? Ready. So I think the prompt was compassion is okay. what it was. So I was working one day and my patient started talking to me. He was an older guy, Vietnam vet. He was interesting to talk to, had great stories with plenty of insights on real life. After talking to him for about 10 minutes, I had to go do other things. But he said with a tear in his eye, to not let life pass by and live in the present because you have to take advantage of the gifts that are today. Mm. And that's so true. Beautiful. That's so true. It sounds like, again, truth, right? Truth that comes, especially at the deepest of times. Uh, I tell you, Vivian, thank you for your time. I'm going to just end it with some of the collective questions. This is like more lightning speed of uh, how we like to end it with our guests. Um, although I do feel like that ending was pretty darn special. Um, but let me ask you this. What are you currently reading or watching? Um, well, right now, usually I try to read upbeat and positive books. But yeah. um, I'm reading, this is always on my life, on my nightstand. When life throws you a curveball, hit it. <laughs> 
that's from Dr. Crystal Freeman because it's true. And then there's a section there which I love, which is called "Fill in Your Toolbox." Uh, My toolbox is the Wisdom. Well, yeah. some podcasts like the Wisdom Coalition, your podcast, and your Wounds to Wisdom. Yeah. But that is an awesome little book. Yeah, and then awesome. somebody gave me this one, which I can't say the words to, but it's so true. <laughs> and it's it's F zero scratch exclamation exclamation K. An honest guide to getting through grief without the condolences, sympathy, and other BS. Because you know what, Christina? People don't know what to say. Yeah. When my parents died, I still have vivid rem memories of people saying, well, you knew that was going to happen. You knew your father had that mm. tendency. And I was looking at and it was a co-worker. And I'm thinking, because she saw it on the news. Mm. You know, same when Lorraine died. You know, just... Some of the things people say, I think they don't still know what to say, that yeah. they say things that is hurtful. So this is actually a very funny, funny oh, I love that. Maybe we can put that in the speaker notes, too, so that yeah. for those that want to look at it. What a great way my to handle it. My who lost her, my brother-in-law who COVID gave to me. She said really? it was, it, it's excellent. I love so, that. And then, of course, Bittersweet, which I love. Ah, uh, Bittersweet's it's a good one. Susan yes. Cain. Yeah. Yes. Very good. So these are my three that I kind of leave there and go back and forth. Awesome. I'm an awesome. audiobook person. I love audiobooks. I know on walks and whatnot. It's they're great. Yes. Viv, I am so grateful for you, for your time. I also wish you just all of the best in terms of how this path unfolds. And I, I just thank Lorraine for bringing us together, even though it was under circumstances that I think neither of us would have chosen. Um, to know you in this world is pretty special. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Beth. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation here on the Real Eyes Realize podcast. We hope you take some time to let the wisdom of these stories that are shared here today sink in. And we welcome you to engage with us on our social channels, realeyes.love on Instagram or Facebook. We also have links in our show notes to our guests, and we invite you to visit our website, realeyes.love. Here you will find an online resource hub, and this is where we offer gifts from our guests to all of our listeners. These resources can help all of us create our own positive ripple effects, actualizing love in this world. If you have any other individuals you would like us to interview, please do let us know. We love hearing your ideas for compelling stories to share. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And thank you for doing all that you do in the name of love and service in our world. Be true, be bold, be real. And thank you for listening. <laughs>